The following podcast is a part of RadioMisfits.com. It's time for Caffeinated Comics, a lively discussion and debate on comics, film, television, and collectibles, all fueled by the magic of Frappuccinos. And now, here's your hosts... John and Steven. Thank you, this is Cabinet of Comics. I'm your host, John Clark. With me, as mainly always, is Chicago's King of Geeks, Elliot Serrano. How are you doing, Elliot? I'm doing fine. And my, uh, if you had uh, today in the pool as to whether Stephen Brown was actually going to be the co-host or not, because I know that intro at the beginning says it's John and Stephen, and then you don't find out until you come in and you say, up. Oh, it's not Steven, it's Elliot, or it's one of the other cavalcade of stars that you have. To... You know what, the opening of this show is like the Xbox. Even when it, when it came back in 2017, they still showed that shot of the two of them in 1993. I, I, I think it more like the opening of the West Wing, because after John Spencer died, they kept his name in the credits, even though he wasn't on the show anymore. Oh, I didn't know. Not that Stephen Brown's died. I mean, no. I mean, the reason Stephen's not here is because he's, he's got saving a life. lives. Yeah, yeah, he's saving lives, so he can't, yeah. you know, spend time talking about the nerdy stuff. But again, for those who like go, oh, wait a minute, how come it announces John and Stephen, and then it's not Stephen, folks? I'm with you. I I experienced the same level of disappointment. Well, I'll tell you another reason is that Jeff Sussman, who recorded our voiceover when we started, moved out to California, and I haven't talked to him in a while. We're still friends, but I don't want to just call him up and go like, hey, can you do five different versions of a voiceover that I never paid you for? Um, I believe my payment was being a guest on his podcast, which he doesn't even do, so he has no podcast to leverage over me. So, you know, I'm keeping his voiceover in amber. That's the important thing. You can do like, and here's your host, John, and then you can cut it there. (laughs) Yeah, and (laughs) And then later on, I I do like the Poochie thing, and Elliot Serrano. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's like like the Ruddles when Ed Sullivan introduces the Beatles, and Eric Idle just goes, the Ruddles, on top of his voice. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, Yeah. ladies and gentlemen, the Ruddles. Well, no matter who's here, we're still doing it. <laughs> we, it, it was, we, were, we were worried there for a we while. We missed a week, yes. Yeah, missed a week. But here we are. Well, this week, uh, Toy Fair is going on, and it is the 118th Toy Fair happening. But in a lot of ways, it's a very different Toy Fair from what it was. This is the first time it's been in person since the pandemic. Uh, this is the first time it's happening in the fall. It usually happens in February, and part of the complaint is that everyone's trudging through New York during a blizzard. Uh, I've been to Toy Fair several times during several snowstorms, and it uh, it is two weeks before New York Comic Con, so it, it's a very different kind of Toy Fair. The other big thing is because of the internet and because of the pandemic, uh, this is a Toy Fair where we kind of know everything because... Toy companies have gotten very adept at just telling you that stuff's coming out and, and hearing every couple of weeks. Hasbro had a PulseCon a week before online, uh, before Toy Fair, and announced really one wave of figures for everything. I think we mentioned it. They Like, here's a, a wave of Ahsoka, and here's a wave of Avengers, and No Way Home figures. And 
that's it. We don't have that big, uh, we don't have that big buildup and release anymore. And uh, the other news on top of that is there will be no 2024 Toy Fair. So it's not moving back to February. But also in 2025, it will be the final year in New York. And after that, in 2026, it is moving to New Orleans. So I think I think we've had this Toy Fair, as I said, it's been around 118 years. I didn't hear about it till the 90s. I think in the 90s is when it became a media event, you know, when things like Wizard would show up. And it became pretty much a press event up until the last few years. And I think maybe maybe the press event days of Toy Fair are done. Well, too, I mean, you have to, I mean, make sense for it to go to New Orleans because I think Las Vegas is maxed out right now on the number of, of conventions they can have there. And these events really, the, the, as you said, outside of just a press event, it's something to, to generate buzz and you need a good location for that too. Cause as you said, like I, I love New York, you know, as a Chicago and thinking New York was highly overrated for the longest time. When I finally did go to New York for, for New York comic con a few years back, I was like, Oh, now I get it. Because there is an energy to it. There is something, there was something about being there. Um, but yeah, but then once, um, you know, once you're past, it's like New York, I can spend the weekend there. I mean, no offense. I know you lived there for, you know, most of Almost life. 40 years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. I was supposed to be, I was supposed to be there last week and then COVID uh, canceled my trip. Yeah. So, so I mean, uh, uh, after I have my, you know, my obligatory slice of pizza and a pop at two in the morning, which is, oh my God, New York pizza is good, folks. Yeah, but you yeah. still called it pop in New York. Yeah, true. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, but but going to New Orleans, I think New Orleans, I'm pretty sure they made a, a play for it. Uh, New Orleans, they're still recovering from a lot of the things that happened post-Katrina. Yeah. They're trying really hard to get the economy going again. Um, even, I mean, things even more recently with the number of hurricanes that yes, didn't make cause the same amount of damage as, as in the past, but they need that economic boost. So you can tell that new Orleans is making plays for a lot of these types of events and, and good and great. And I don't, you know, what? I, I think I'd like to go to toy fair in new Orleans. I'd be there. Oh yeah. I've been to new Orleans a couple of times, but not since I was a young man, uh, and you're right. New Orleans has is trying to build these convention centers to bring people in. What I find interesting about it, as I said, it's you know it's it's not for fans. I feel like uh, I have to say this every year. It is an industry event. The few times I went, I uh, was either working at Art Asylum, uh, helping out Diamond Toys, or writing for Figures.com. It was um, it was always something in the industry. But the big deal about it is that is when Target and Walmart put in their orders that that's supposed to be, it's a trade show. And that, it was originally was you do it in February because you show the entire year and then you plan your summer and your fall and your Christmas. Um, obviously Toys R Us was a major part of that. And at, every year I read these articles, I read another one that Toys R Us is coming back. Toys R Us is coming back. It's going to be 24 stores and malls. And it's like, that somebody bought the name and they're going to try to bring it back. But the days of the big box store are gone, you the know, unless Toys R Us comes back as a website that can beat Amazon. 
Yeah, no, the big box toy store, I mean, let's be honest, uh, Walmart and Target pretty much killed them. I mean, they're, I'll run across the, the occasional KB toys in a mall here or there. Still? Yeah, it's amazing. I've never, I haven't seen a KB. The last time I saw a KB toys, it had Lord of the Rings figures in it. And we were probably in the same KB toys. I think they still had the same figures in there. <laughs> yeah, they were, just, they were just marked with a pen, three for ten. <laughs> Uh, but you're right, and it's it. it, it but it, to me too, as you said, it is a trade show. So these trade shows benefit from having all these you know professionals coming down, not only to the event but also to the restaurants and using those company you know those company expense account, expense accounts to pay pay for food and drinks and all that other stuff. Well, that's another thing. I, I every company I have been to has been squeezing those yeah, expense accounts. Yeah, yeah. And that that was part of what uh, COVID taught. It was like, ah, oh, you really need to pay for a hotel and a and a plane ticket when you could just go on Zoom. So right, it is. You know, I say this almost every week. <laughs> I think it almost every day, but. You know, we're at the stage of capitalism where it's not about making money. It's about saving it, you know, which is why there is a Batgirl movie on a shelf. Yeah. I mean, to me, I'm, I'm surprised that con comic conventions in general continue. I mean, even the large scale ones. What what do you get? You know, and don't get me wrong. I mean, there is something to be said for a, a really good, a really uh, well run convention when you have you know, panels and you have um, 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 a nice vendors area all set out. But I think the moment someone figures out how to really get a social networking uh, platform, maybe a la Zoom, some sort of Zoom hybrid thing where you can have the convention experience without leaving home. Like maybe like uh, when Zuckerberg finally figures out, you know, the VR bit, you know, with Meta, who knows? That, that's yeah, I don't know if we will though. I don't know because we had it. We had a San Diego Comic Con on Zoom, and it wasn't the same, and it wasn't much fun. And I think there's an uncanny valley about being somewhere in person because attendance is up at these. Yeah, I mean, yeah. even even the little ones are coming back. Yeah. Um, you know, you and I went to one in Indiana last year that was well attended. There was one just this weekend, uh, a tiny little uh, DuPage County con. Uh, I went to the King County Toy Show, and I see people. So people do like to come out. People do like to hold things in their hands. So I think, I think there is that community aspect, especially for something like comics. You know, I went to my first comic book convention in 1985, and it was the first time I realized that that comics reach other people in their bedrooms besides me and the three friends in my class that had it. It, it exposes you to this larger world. And I think, if anything threatens it, it's the fact that we're all connected online all the time. You know, is that Hasbro does go like, hey, all right, we're going to do a streaming event on YouTube. Here's Star Wars toys. And then it makes Toy Fair less special. So I, I feel like the industry used to revolve around these cons. I felt like the cons were the spine of the industry. And, you know, when I was, when I was doing comics, um, the small amount I did, I knew guys that they made their entire living from conventions. You know, they had they weren't getting any work from the comic book companies and they just set up their booth every weekend and did commissions and sold their prints. And that and that was the life they lived. And it's I think it's heartwarming to see that it's still continuing, but it's not it doesn't seem as essential anymore. You know, it's almost like a nice to have. 
Yeah, and then it, not to go off too much on a tangent, but now with the bits with guys setting up at booths to just do their thing. Let's say sell prints. Now you have the whole AI people generating prints on yeah. AI and cutting into the into the profits of or c- cutting into the business of the legit artists. Yeah, yeah. The, the thing about AI uh, that worries me it's not so much that like. It's not like Art Adams is going to be out of work because AI is generating stuff from his old artwork. It's there's always going to be the personality. People are always going to be drawn to the personality of it. It's the boring shit. It's the uh, the diagram for how to get to the bathroom in a building. It's the <laughs> uh, I will say it. It's the pharmaceutical brochure, which, <laughs> which pays for my goddamn house. I was going to say you're not working at a pharmaceutical brochure now, are you? <laughs> I'm always working on a pharmaceutical brochure. <laughs> I work on guides for how to use the pharmaceutical brochure. That's that's the stuff that AI like. I'm the guy first out the door if AI takes takes over. You know, it's not going to be writing jokes for Jimmy Fallon. Mike Trucker's going to keep working past my cell date if it's AI. But yeah, it, but it is going to be like the low level stuff, the stuff you don't care about. AI is going to gobble all that up. But you know, people are still going to want to see Todd McFarlane draw a spawn. True, and and I think there are a lot of folks who are very and I think justifiably so concerned that AI is going to take away some jobs or or really infringe on on the 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 well being of again legit artists. But I think I think we might I can I foresee a time when. You know what? We're going to be over the whole AI thing. We're going to go, hmm. okay, yeah, that that looks like it was generated by AI. I am so tired of that. Like, I'm already seeing articles on different websites where I'm like, oh, no, that was generated by AI. I can yeah, tell it's, they threw I, in some prompts, and then they just cut and pasted. They dropped it, and, like, they didn't check certain things. Or I'm like, no, that doesn't read right. And I go, oh, yeah, that was an AI-generated um, article. I tell it's I, I said it before. It's the uncanny valley, and I think the uncanny valley is sophisticated. Like yeah. the better it gets, the better we are at spotting. It. It's like exactly. deepfakes. Yeah. Exactly. Two years ago, everybody was afraid of deepfakes. Oh my god, people are going to put the president's face on it. He's going to declare war. We're all going to be dead. And now, within a second, you go, "Well, that's a deepfake," because you, you see the very small scene to it. Yeah. And every time they adjust the scene, you see it a little better. It's like CG. When CG yeah. first came out in movies, we we're like. Oh my God, you're not going to tell what's going on. And now the first thing people complain about a movie, too much CG. Yeah, yeah. That that, that hope this uh, recently came out, this bit with uh, Tom Hanks um, posted on his Instagram that some dental company or insurance service was using him as a spokesperson for their product. He went, that's not me. And he posted an image of it. And you can tell it's a, a digitally de-aged Tom Hanks. But as you said, Really spot no, that's not him. You can tell it's yeah. not him. You can tell it's like a deep fake or a sort of deal that happened here. Yeah. Yeah. So I uh so I'm not too worried about that. And I do think the state of conventions is kind of prompting it, but I but I think it's just getting harder and harder to come by. It is prompting like I want to go see a real artist and I want to see him draw, even if it's he's gonna draw digitally. I want you know, like I've seen Jim Lee draw on an iPad and it looks like Jim Lee. Yeah, because it's still Jim Lee's hand. Yeah, you know, I think people still care, 
and economics and com- comics have always been a niche market. You know, at at their height, they sold one million copies. That any movie that only made a million dollars fails. An indie movie would fail if it only made a million dollars. So comics have always been niche, and I think it is a matter of craft. People want to see the craft of it. You know, and and for somebody like me, that's something I like to see in toys as well. That's the thing that keeps me in toys. You know, um, as uh, you know, I was obsessed with toys the first time you put Amigo Batman in my hand. I became obsessed with toys, and then goddamn it, Kenner made Star Wars, and there was no turning back. But I did love my days doing toys at Art Asylum. I did love seeing guys hand sculpt, and I know they're doing it digitally. You know. Um, I know Paul Harding, who posts a lot on social media, is is making you know GI Joe and Marvel Legends digitally, but they look as good as the figures he was making by hand. So I, I think as long as you have a talented hand guiding it, it's you're gonna get the desired result. You basically, it's like a longer winded way of saying you need an artist. Oh, definitely. There should be artistry to this. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, to to that point. Like for the longest, there was a while when um, the WWF, now WWE, w- was producing um, action figures where they had the wrestlers like stand in a big chamber and it digitally scanned their entire body and essentially 3D printed a version of them. And yet somehow when they got shrunken down, it was weird. They didn't look like miniature versions of them. It was like something happens in the translation where you would think, it's it's a scan of them. It's you know yeah, but it, and it's getting better because I remember uh, Gentle Giant started doing that in the early two thousands, and I think I remember that um, the Lord of the Rings were like the first ones to scan. And now you look at the MCU and uh, Star Wars; they can use old scans, like they can they can use a digital three D scan from a nineteen seventy seven Mark Hamill. You don't even have to get Mark Hamill today. And they are better, but there is still like a weird, like I look in the eyes of those figures and there's like a pixelated glass. You still can't get Harrison Ford right. I'm sorry. No. Although I've seen two, I've seen two examples of when it was dead on and one was a force awakened, not a force unleashed statue that they, uh, that they did. And it's, it's, I, I, I remember seeing it and buying it on the spot. I paid full price for that baby at, at, at Disney Springs. I was in Florida and I'd never seen it before. I said, oh my God, this looks like Harrison Ford. I have to have this thing. It looks more than more like him than I've ever seen before. It was and Disney I, Springs. It was probably their exclusive. Yeah. So I grabbed it. And then, of course, the um, the more um, recent um, Indiana Jones figures that, that that have been out. I want to say the um, you saw that um, Last Crusade of him. Yeah. The, the last, yeah, the last it, Crusade of him is so well done and it has an articulated hat which it's it's one of those where it's like it's the finale of the line and we were talking about this last week it's like i'm grateful for what i have i don't expect indiana jones to run years and years but it's like it's it's the coup de grace because you're right this is the best harrison ford likeness i've ever seen it's so good that i can't put it on any other bodies because I wanted I put it on my Raiders body to go, well, this is the perfect Indiana Jones. You want perfect Indiana Jones from the first film. But it's clearly a 1989 Harrison Ford, not a 1981 Harrison Ford. That's how good it is. His his face is just a little fuller. 
And, you know, hopefully we'll get better and better, but it's like, you're not, you're not going to kid me that that's a human being. It still looks like a toy. It's still made out of plastic. And honestly, the stuff that looks the best is things like hot toys or queen studios in art. And those are, those are artists hand crafting those facial sculpts. Like they have been doing Heath Ledger since 2008 and each one just gets a little closer. So yeah, hi again. I'd like to see. Uh, I mean, it's the end of the uh, Indiana Jones line. Although I think there are a couple more things, other things that are coming out. I think on. Um, I think Gentle Giants doing some things. Yeah, like, I was uh, supposed to get a map room indie today. I need to look at my yeah. shipping notice. But uh, uh, and there's still the rest of this set. Big Bad Toy Store got the Last Crusade indie and Henry, but there's a couple of Dial of Destinies to to round it out. Yeah. Yeah, but it yeah it it was it was definitely nice while it lasted. I mean, I have a veritable wax museum of Indiana Jones, a miniature wax museum of Indiana Jones characters, um, in my family room. So I can I have so many plastic hats now. <laughs> <laughs> it's a sea of plastic fedoras. Well, and I've been taking. Well, that's the thing is I, I I'm such a terrible action figure collector. Like I can manage everything else. You know, like DVDs went to streaming. I don't really buy DVDs anymore. You know, uh, comics. I don't really buy comics. I'm, I'm having this argument with myself now, with comics because I never get to a comic book store. I don't have the room. But um, after we talked about Batman Day, I've been wanting to read Batman again because I missed him. You know, I've been reading mostly Spider Man, and I couldn't find anything. And then there was this this one bad day set where they got all their A list talents to do. Uh, books focusing on the villains so tom king did a riddler and tom taylor did a Rachel ghoul and there's a clay face and there's a penguin and they had the box set on insect trades it was 60 dollars for nine graphic novels uh retailed at 150 and i couldn't pull the trigger because i'm like well, do i want this on my shelf i haven't read it is it any good and uh I keep going back and forth. And honestly, I'm thinking maybe I go back to DC infinite. You know, you and I talked about comiXology a lot, but I looked at the comiXology prices and they weren't great, but I was like, well, I have a Marvel unlimited subscription and every three months I go in and I read a bunch of fantastic fours and iron man's that, and keep caught up. And I'm like, maybe I need to do that for DC. Maybe I need to catch up on the last few years of Batman and read it on screen. But you know, is that, there's so many there's so many caveats that open up with digital like number one is it worth paying 75 dollars just for a year and next year you have nothing you know uh you know and with something like you know a netflix or disney plus you buy you buy into that but with comics the collecting is such a strong part of it and honestly the other thing is there's months i forget i have that marvel app where I'm like, oh yeah, I have this app. I, it's not part of my regular reading schedule, you know. Yeah. So is it is it worth the money? And and you know, a bigger question is what's worth having on your shelf and worth what's worth reading once and walking away from. Yeah, it's like me with my Netflix account that I pay for every month and I hardly use it. I'm like, why am I why am I still paying for this? <laughs> yeah, because every now and then they do one thing you want to see. Water, yeah. So yeah, I know we've 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 spoken. We, we had a really good rant about that whole comicsology thing. So, yeah. And it's like, I, 
Bur- it burned to the ground. So I, I was reading, I'm rereading an omnibus and I know I cannot take an omnibus on the train. And then, uh, so I was like, oh, well maybe I get the DC Batman, uh, the DC infinite and reread Batman, no man's land on my screen. And then I realized, oh no, I bought the trades from comiXology six years ago. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, that's the benefit of a collection. So when I get on the train tomorrow, I can leave my, uh, 1200 page omnibus, which by the way, <laughs> is part one of three omnibuses for no man's land. So it's something like, so it's, you know, it's like 3,500 pages of this story that I can just carry on my screen. But of course, you know, I'm I'm the crazy collector who has the issues in the in a box in the basement, and the omnibus is on a shelf, and then the digital versions. Well, I will say the Comic Cat and many many a digital download has saved me from spending ridiculous amounts of money uh, trying to find all those Indiana Jones omnibuses. Oh yeah, even though I do have uh, the majority of the single issues and. Um, and yeah, it's it's you know that that that, that something hits me. It's like oh oh, let me get that. Uh, I'm surprised yeah. they didn't re-release it as like a big hardcover omnibus with this new movie. I am. I, I'm surprised that they haven't announced uh, uh, an adaptation of Dial of Destiny. You know, yeah. I I I didn't, asked, I didn't understand it now to be honest, but before. You'd... Well, at the same time, I remember they didn't announce the adaptation of The Force Awakens. Um, till a good year after the after the movie was released. Oh, really? Yeah. So, but I mean, to me, I would say uh, uh, the the dream team for a Dial of Destiny uh, 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 art artist writer artist team announced itself on my Facebook page when I threw out there, "Who would you like to see? Who would you like to see work on a Dial of Destiny adaptation?" I foolishly put that out there, hoping many would say, yeah, Elliot, we'd like to see you write a dialogue. <laughs> I had one or two people do it, but then I had a whole bunch of folks go so-and-so and so-and-so. And then he showed up and threw, dropped the mic on me, which was basically Mark Wade said, me and Chris Samney. And I was like, oh, yeah. there it is. Can't, can't beat that. No, can't get any better than that. Boom. Yeah, well, the fact that he said it, my vote would have been uh, Kurt Busiek and Jerry Ordway, because because uh, yeah. the best adaptation I ever saw of any movie in a comic book is the 1989 Tim Burton Batman that Denny O'Neill wrote, and Denny O'Neill's gone, but uh, Jerry Ordway's art yeah. on that first Batman book, it is dynamic. It feels like Batman, and every likeness is spot on in every panel. It's just absolutely gorgeous there was talk about doing an artist edition of that i think he though he said he was getting a lot of grief about it too that there was a lot going on with getting a, a likenesses approved and so on so oh that's what i've heard that's the reason john byrne only did two issues of indiana jones oh yeah because it was dealing with yeah, lucasfilm the lucasfilm was a real bear to deal with they were asking for changes in stories like like the week the, sh- the thing's supposed to go to print like they did not understand uh, how you know how production worked. Now I don't want to diss the folks at Lucasfilm or in their life. Well, these are the folks at Lucasfilm in 1981. 1981, because I, I would mean, like one day to be able to work I, with them. I don't know that anybody's still there. Maybe yeah. Kathleen Kennedy was there. She's probably it, but yeah. So I mean, back back to the point of of um having having these things to read, um, but it's it, I think in itself too is is it really kind of niche i mean 
how, how long did that um, Batman 89 pitch be, uh, sit out there? I think was it um, the artist who oh, wanted- Joe Quinones. Yeah, he wanted to do a continuation. And we're saying the pitch was out there. You could see it online. You could see the, the artwork and everything. And it was like, no, nah, we don't, you know, DC didn't want to do it. And somehow, some way, it finally, somebody had, in DC editorial said, wow, let's let's do this. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and they've done multiple covers. That, uh, well, they did that. They did the uh, Superman 78. The thing I really like, they have... Um, they announced a new print run with new variant covers for the hardcovers that are VHS tapes. Yeah. And that, yes, I saw that one. Yep. Yeah. And I already, I already bought the 89 hardcover and I did enjoy it. It was, it's a nice companion piece to the Batman 66 omnibus, but you know, it's, it was nothing earth shattering. Uh, But speaking of VHS, I was in, I had price books yesterday and uh, finding nineties Batman's from the 50 cent bins. (laughs) And they had, and Raiders of the Lost Ark VHS for two dollars. Ah, and did I, you grab it? I thought about it, but I'm like, what am I gonna do with it? Well, what VHS? condition was it in? Was it still wrapped and all that? No, no, but it was. It still had the cover. Yeah, because there is a now there is a new market for those things, but it has to be. It's the same thing. You have to, you have to be in like quote unquote mint condition. For, yeah, but those things wear out. That's the problem. Yeah, and, that. and and you know who makes a VCR? They stop. They stopped making VCRs a while ago. I mean, I'm just starting to recollect Blu-ray. <laughs> well, it was a, I will say, I yeah, the VCR, VHS thing is becoming, well, that, it's always been a thing like with the Disney movies. Like if you can find like an mm. unopened shrink-wrapped copy of Beauty and the Beast from its first release, it's, you know, you, you see those articles from time to time going, oh, if you have this, you've got a fortune in your attic or blah, blah, blah. And you're like, it's almost like slabbing comic books. Right. You know? It's like you're not going to watch it. You're not going to use it. You just want to have it for some reason. Yeah. Right? See, Blu-rays I'll, I'll actually use. I was in uh, I was in a disc replay yesterday, and they had the complete Batman the Animated Series on Blu-ray for like 40 bucks, And it includes like both series and both movies. And I'm like, this is insurance. This is like, I, this is like if my streaming just screws up or I don't have Wi-Fi. And it was the same reason I bought... Star Trek: The Next Generation a couple months ago. It's like these are these are the things I know I want to have. Uh, although it turned out there was like a two-hour documentary on there that was only on the Blu-ray. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I that's mean, something... well, you've you've heard me. You and I have gone back and forth on physical media versus our, you yeah. know, having things in the cloud, and I am all about the physical media. Yeah, but I don't like moving it. <laughs> that's <a laughs> It's it's it gets heavy. It's what? true. Yes. And that that's the thing I found, you know, I did the same thing with uh, Batman yesterday I was doing with Spider-Man. So I pulled out the Batman boxes I had left and I had all of my Batmans and detectives from the 80s and 90s. So I had really good stuff that I decided not to sell. I had, you know, Year One and Dark Knight Returns and Nightfall uh, and, you know, the first Death of Robin and everything that was like really important to me. And uh, the stuff I sold was like the 60s and 70s, which was the stuff that was worth money, but honestly came out before I was born. So I didn't wasn't attached to it. But I immediately started going, well, I sold all my Shadow of the Bats and there's a lot of crossovers there. <laughs> and that's what's in the 50 cent bins. I'm like, oh, maybe I can fill it back up for 50 cents. This is what led me to buying Web of Spider-Man twice. <laughs> Yeah, you went through my books looking for Web of Spider-Man. I, I found some. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Now I'm coming back looking for Shadow of the Bat. You know what? I think I have a bunch of Shadow of the Bat. Yeah, Everybody I mean, has them. You're, <laughs> you're welcome to them, my friend. I, I, it, it's funny. I, I was looking at my collection. I go, my God, I did not realize I was so into Batman back then. Everybody was. And that's yeah. that's kind of what's been hitting me. It's almost like this is the sequel to Batman Day. Because our Batman Day podcast, we were like, man, it's kind of hard to be in a Batman now. There was a movie two years ago that I like, but I don't think about. There's there's no animated series. Nobody's talking about the comics. And uh, going back to Bat, I've been going back to Batman the animated series and rereading, you know, the '90s crossovers. Uh, I was rereading Hush the other day, and the whole world was into Batman for a good, you know, good twenty years. And it's like, maybe that ended. I'm sure it can come back. But I feel like it's almost like between Tim Burton and Dark Knight, we were just into Batman. And he went from being a pop culture phenomenon to now a freaking religion. Because mm-hmm. is it just me? Or is it, it's like, it's gotten out of hand with the Batman worship. Like, give me, give him 12 hours of prep time and Batman will. Can beat anybody. He needs prep time, though. I see. I mean, that's been like yeah. I like, like social media lately. Well, you know what? I I feel like I started to drift off of Batman uh, after the Millennium. Uh, I loved Hush for the Jim Lee artwork, but I never felt quite connected to Batman the way I was in the eighties and nineties. And I I think it was because that's when he he stopped losing. He stopped having a sense of humor. He stopped having vulnerabilities. Yeah, like he just became this like tank of a guy and his and his personality became very two-dimensional yeah. and i was like i don't relate to bruce wayne anymore and i did in the i did in the you know honestly the 70s 80s and 90s because you go back first of all you go back to the 70s stuff and you have neil adams and marshall rogers it's it's beautiful stuff but as a kid i was watching adam west and super friends yeah and i, mean, I identified with batman i identified with michael keaton and i i just don't anymore you know he just seems so far removed from a human being's experience. He's he's become like Jesus, you know. Yeah, Jesus. I don't relate to Jesus either. <laughs> but you should. I had a lot of years of a lot of people telling me about Jesus all day. <laughs> and same. then same. Yeah, Monday to Friday, and then they told me ah, half of my weekend I should talk about Jesus. Well, <laughs> It just relates back to this whole again. Batman like is a religion. It becomes like now people who say they really know the character start espousing. Well, Batman can do this and Batman can do that and blah blah blah. And I, I get so tired of it over time. And, and you know what? I'll I'll even get I'll even give them that because I don't even care so much anymore. Now the new thing is Doctor Doom has become like the the ultimate character in in Marvel. He can beat anybody in Marvel. And 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 I, I had to draw the line where it was one where um, the, these these Dr. Doom, I, I'm telling you, it's approaching Elon Musk worship levels, okay? Now we know what happened there. Yeah, that, 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 that Dr. Doom is smarter than Reed Richards. No. 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 That's Solid. why he hates no. him. That is why he hates him. I, 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 I kind of side with the Doctor Doom could beat anybody because when I was a kid, he took Galactus's powers. He stole the Beyonder's powers for a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. And, yeah. and he's fought everybody, so yeah. he don't like nobody. 
You know, you know what? Dr. Doom has never been like, uh, that guy's all right with me. He's never said that. <laughs> Let Nightcrawler go. He's cool. Never. <laughs> never. You name a Marvel hero, Dr. Doom has spit yelling at them. Well, through the mask, because the mask doesn't yeah. quite come out. And there's filters. There's like multiple filters in that mask. It's like a screen door over a screen door. You know, you know, like when, when you have the, the thing just to prop up your window with a screen and it's like two planes that slide apart to keep mosquitoes out. That's Dr. Doom's mouth. And he will still spit at you. Okay, so you you're you're already a convert to Dr. Doom. Kind of really Team Doom. He's an asshole. Yeah. And he and he ends up losing because he's an asshole. I'm not saying he can beat anybody. I'm saying he can get close. He can get well, true. Yeah. But it's like it's I, I just find that really amusing. not amu- it's half amusing, half annoying because it again, you've got these, you know, folks out there who they just they're forgetting that yes, Dr. Doom can beat Galactus, but let's remember Jim Shooter wrote that, and and Jim Shooter was like, "I'm the editor in chief of Marvel Comics. I can play with what everybody's power levels, you know, and do whatever the." the fuck Stan I Lee, want. Stan Lee wrote that he took Silver Surfer's powers, yeah, and then he oh. flew around on a surfboard for multiple <laughs> issues in the '60s. Nothing was multiple issues in the '60s. <laughs> that was that meant it was the status quo. And, and, and yeah, he took down the Beyonder, but come on, let's be honest. When the Beyonder came back, didn't he look a little bit like a Michael Jackson tribute? Uh, well, band that was member? that was the whole point. He was Steve Rogers' body, and then he got like Michael Jackson's hair and clothes. <laughs> and Secret Wars Two is weird. Even I was I was thirteen, and I was like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> it was it was the whole sequel suck. I mean, he just went in and proved how sequels suck. Although it means Secret Wars one didn't really have an ending. I kept waiting. Well, that's it. That's that's how it. No, well, because Secret Wars, the ending of of uh, Secret Wars one was every monthly book, uh, the month of Secret Wars number one. The ending is Spider Man has a black costume and the thing doesn't come back, and uh, and Rhodey's still Iron Man, but he's got shoulder pads. (laughs) (laughs) Some of some of the changes were not that. Drastic, and the X Men were in Japan for no reason. Well, it did it did break up Kitty and Peter. Um, yeah, which uh, pissed me off to no end because I think Chris Claremont was the only one who took anything that went happened in Secret Wars and actually did stuff with it. Whereas all the other books just said, "Yeah, okay," and they disregarded it and they went back to the status quo. Yeah, well, not Spider Man because that black costume became Venom and and. Every five years, Spider-Man still puts on the black costume. He has it on this issue. This issue, he got he got uh, infected with the Green Goblin's evil, and his costume just turned into black costume. All right. Well, I'm just waiting for Dan Slott to put Spider Boy in the in the black costume, and then you know. Yeah, Black Spider Boy. I don't know. I don't know about Spider Boy. I mean, we're living in a Spider Verse world, and I feel like Spider Boy's one too many. I still don't understand the Miles Morales being Spider-Man and Peter Parker Spider-Man in the same universe. Although yeah. I did see this really sweet. Well, he he do, he crossed over. Yeah, he did no, have I know. Like, the Ultimate Universe. But yeah, but he never got back his own to, name. Yeah, yeah, they don't give him his own name. It's not it's Miles Morales Spider-Man. You know, it's not you know Spider-Man. Yeah, but it's like Spider Gwen. It's like, is it really a name if your secret identity is in it? Really, and then well, it's not. Is this is she? Isn't she Ghost Spider? She doesn't go along. They tried Ghost Spider. I don't think it stuck. I, you know what? There, there's a little kid one like Spider Man's friends. 
as very little yeah, kid. Yeah. It's like Nick Jr. They're calling Miles Morales Spin. Ah, okay. And my eight-year-old, because it's in season two and he's ten now. My eight-year-old was like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> I think that's too even too too. That's too young for him. He's he's already aged out. Yeah, but you know, it's not it's not that different from what happened in the eighties when like every Avenger, every single Avenger quit. And then they got taken over by like some sidekick for a while. And then the main one came back and then the sidekick got a new name. That's why we have War Machine, Thunderstrike, and US Agent all at the same time. Yeah. What Miles hasn't done is come up with a new name. Well, we can't call him Black Spider Boy. (laughs) No. That that wouldn't work. That would be wrong. Even calling him Spider Boy is wrong. That would be bad. Someone, someone in the PR department said, no, 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 marketing. <laughs> That's why Dan Slott could create a Spider Boy because that was a hole that was not getting filled by Miles Morales. Nope, nope. Like, remember when, when they, the, for a brief time, um, 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 Captain America's um, uh, psychic was Bucky, who was a, an African American man. And then he realized so later that Bucky was not something you call a black man. Mm. Like, oops. Yeah. Yeah, there was, you know, the the diversity in comics, even to this day, it's a lot of white guys telling you what diversity is. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, you go back and you read some of that stuff, too. Yeah. I mean, Tony, have you met Tony Isabella? No. Sweetheart of a man, but not the guy you think would create. Black, black lightning, lightning. Yeah. oh man and when he gets on his rants about black lightning and how the character works here and there like oh, okay i mean i respect <laughs> him and all i mean yes he created yeah. the character but um he it's he's talking about a character that comes from a different back back background than he is so maybe right. you gotta like defer to folks who did come from that well also you know you go back in the de- decades and comic characters get less and less and less nuanced unless you're batman in which case you get less nuanced now yeah pretty much <laughs> like yeah. i was like i was reading some of um some of uh, kirby's uh, uh captain america and the falcon oh yeah those are crazy oh man but man the way he writes sam wilson oh uh, yeah that's, that's the arnim zola run that's all you need to know yeah yeah Anywho, sidetrack. How did we go from DVDs to the racist portrayal of characters in comics? Yeah, uh, because we were talking about old movies. (laughs) (laughs) That helps. We were talking about bad sequels, and hey, I just watched. uh, I just watched multiple Texas Chainsaw Massacre sequels. Really? Oh yeah, we're gonna have to have Howie Weingarten on soon to talk about those. They didn't have three, but man, I watched two and four. Four. And four is just watching Matthew McConaughey do whatever the fuck he wants. <laughs> That's the one with Renee Zellweger and Matthew McConaughey, who I assumed had small roles. Oh, no. Oh, really? It's all Matthew McConaughey torturing Renee Zellweger oh, wow. and Leatherface is in the background. Wow. I I have not... I, I have vague recollections of the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Well, you know the famous scene, you know the famous scene where like she wakes up and there's that they're at the dinner and she's tied up to like the chair. Cuz no. they well, they do that in every one of them. Like they okay. force her to go to dinner where they're eating people. 
Uh, in this one, literally, Renee Zellweger w- wakes up in a chair, and there's like you know bodies around, and Matthew McConaughey walks in and says, "All right, all right, all right." <laughs> it was just something he always did. Oh boy, it's worth it for that. It, I believe, you can see it on Peacock. <laughs> oh, I, I'm, I'm already, you've already, you've already piqued my interest. Oh yeah, if you were, yeah, Matthew, like if Matthew McConaughey. Matthew kind of hate in any role. You figure if he dialed it up too much, he would kill somebody. This is that movie. <laughs> <laughs> this is him dialing it up and killing people. All right. And, all right. All right. All right. <laughs> and what's great about it is you feel like even the other characters are going, is that Matthew McConaughey? <laughs> it's none of that is in the script. Where is he coming? Yeah. Up with that? <laughs> yeah. I don't know that there is a script in this one. <laughs> We're just going to set up this. It's going to be like a yes and thing. It's imp- improv horror. <laughs> yeah. You know, just... I, I will say now that we're going into October, I'm I'm going into my horror movie phase and I'm going to be seeing some weird, weird movies. I still haven't. I've been holding off on seeing Evil Dead Rise, which is on HBO. It's good. Yeah. I'm it, 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 was, it was entertaining. I liked it more than the 2013 Evil Dead and I did like the 2013 Evil Dead. Oh really? And I mean, I really enjoyed the 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 the, the twenty thirteen Evil Dead. I... This one I thought was better. Okay. This one uh, is not so much a reboot, but this is this was. Hey, what if the book showed up somewhere else? Mm-hmm. So it it's a legitimate sequel to the other mm-hmm. ones, while being a modern horror film, um, not relying on the tr- on these Raimi tropes, but being true to that universe. I really enjoyed it. And I'm I'm not a big horror movie guy. My my horror October's are usually like finding very old horror movies because they ain't scary anymore. Right, right. Horror movies are like milk. You leave them out long enough, you're not getting what it was meant to do. <laughs> Although if you you know if you, you know, a little too much of them, and you're going to be you know, spending some time, you'll be throwing up. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, that was something. One of the few things that surprised me about Toy Fair is uh, Nika, or N E C A is actually the way you're supposed to pronounce it, but everybody still says Nika, who does the horror figures, showed both a Christopher Lee Dracula in seven inch scale, and this is an instant purchase for me a Vincent Price that's just Vincent Price. <laughs> No movie involved. It's like, here's Vincent Price. And he has two heads. He has a head of Vincent Price in his 40s and Vincent Price in his 80s. Wow. And I'm like, absolutely sold. That's probably just through his own estate, right? They get they, Probably, you know, yeah. They don't, want, they don't want to deal with any movie license or whatever. Just make it a Vincent Price. Yeah, he has the pencil mustache and the slick back hair. And honestly, it's like... Honestly... Uh, even his iconic movies are not as iconic as him. Like I don't need Vincent Price in the Tingler or the abominable Dr. Phoebes is a whole makeup thing that makes him look less like Vincent Price. But yeah, you, you just give me Vincent Price as if he's on the Muppet show. Ooh, I could put him with my Muppet figures. There you go. So I was going to say, really some of my favorite Vincent Price moments are when I go on YouTube and just watch him on talk shows. Well, that's how he grew up with Vincent Price, I realized. I'm like, why do I love him so much? And it's like, yeah, I liked House of Wax. I liked The Fly. I liked The Abominable Dr. Phoebes, um, Madhouse. Uh, uh, Trilogy of Terror I just watched was him, Peter Lorre, and Basil Rathbone. Um, you know, American International, cheap as shit, but fun. 
And I'm like, well, what's the movie I love? Like, Bela Lugosi, I love Dracula. You know, Christopher Lee, honestly, I love The Two Towers. Yeah. And I'm like, what is it with Vincent Price? And I realized it was just him being on TV in the 70s. You know, he was on, you know, he was on The Brady Bunch. He was on Sanford and Son. He was that's on, right. That is, that's right. He was on Sanford and Son. <laughs> he was on Match Game PM. I believe he was one of the Gilligan's Island reunion movies. Yep. And the of man course, worked. Yeah, and, and and Bill Hader would make some excellent skits, you know. Oh, yeah, that's a yeah, ho- Halloween perennial you know. of Bill Hader. Although Bill Bill Hader misses the misses the uh the half of the Vincent Price impression, which which by the way, Michael McKeon nailed the Vincent Price in the 80s on SNL, where he taught me how to do the Vincent Price. The thing about Vincent Price is you do the first half nasal and then you do the second half loop. <laughs> Bill Hader never did the low part. I'm like, dude, you got to do the low parts. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, now as soon as we're yeah, done here, I'm going to, folks. After you're done listening to this podcast, trust me, go look, go look up Vincent Price uh, bits on on YouTube. It's it's worth it. I I I will recommend Trilogy of Terrors on Amazon Prime. Not to be confused with Trilogy of Terror. Yes, Aaron Black. Yes, um, with the, the the doll, with the doll, but with the of the yeah, three, the right? pre-chuck. There's trilogy of terrors, and then trilogy of terror. Yes, now now it's like a Mandela effect where I'm like, is that really the name of it? Yeah. <laughs> but I, yeah, I, I watched I watched it a week ago, but I've had COVID, so <laughs> I'm I'm gonna defer to you on the Vincent Price knowing that bit. Uh, yeah, and of course, you know Vincent Price's last movie is Edward Scissorhands. Oh yes, isn't he the one who? Okay, isn't he the one who creates Edward Scissorhands? Uh, yes, he is. Right. Yeah, and he dies. He he dies in front of Edward, and like he died right after the movie came out. It is trilogy of terror, nineteen sixty two, Vincent Price, Basil Rathbone, and Peter Lorre. And oh, but if you really want the Vincent Price, and you know what, this is my greatest thing in the world. We're starting Halloween. My greatest thing in the world. I saw this last year. I do not know if it's still on Amazon Prime, but I saw it on Amazon Prime. And when you hear the title, if you've never heard the title before, you're going to want to watch this movie because I will tell you, it lives up to this title. Vincent Price in Dr. Goldfoot and the Bikini Machine. Oh, I heard of that. Yes. It's yes. fantastic. Yes, I heard of that. That's like one of the, yes. It is 90 minutes of Vincent Price threatening his assistant. <laughs> Igor, you numbskull. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> they made a sequel. It's not as good. <laughs> oh, yeah. The sequels are never as good. No, I know. Good. You know what? I'm, I'm such a franchise whore that I always, I always hold out for the sequels. But, man, you're right. They're not as good. I mean, you know, my favorite movie in the world. I don't think it's a sequel to Raiders of the Lost Ark is as good as Raiders of the Lost Ark. People love The Last Crusade, but it's no Raiders of the Lost Ark. No. And, you know. The only the only sequels that are really good is when they just kind of go off the rails. Like Empire Strikes Back is like such a bigger, crazier, darker movie than Star Wars. Batman Returns. <laughs> Batman Returns is one of those movies that people hated when it came out and they love it more every year. Yeah, because he gets he's even more murdery in this one. 
Yeah, well, I saw Batman Returns at the Music Box at Christmas. And that place was packed. I had really bad seats because it was so packed. Jeez. People love Batman Returns. It's nuts. Uh, Terminator 2. Terminator 2, yep, that's better. That one's better. Um, Aliens. Uh, That, I'm going to say, is a tie. There are two different movies. Alien, I mean, yeah. you know, uh, Alien is a legit horror movie. Whereas, yeah, it's a haunted house movie. Haunted house, whereas uh, Aliens is more of a war movie. Yeah, it, it's still scary, but it's like, but it's so full of adrenaline. Uh, but yeah, there, there are very few, there are very few uh, movie sequels that can pull that off. Yeah, Road Warrior. Road Warrior is better than Mad Max. Mad Max. So, sometimes it's like it was a really low budget movie and then they got a real budget for the second one. That's like, that's usually where it gets good. And you can tell that they really got a handle on the characters and the world and, and all that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. But there are no sequels like horror sequels because <laughs> I, well, here's a question I'm going to leave you with. Uh, what are worse, comedy sequels or horror sequels? Because they're both trying to do the same thing, which is shock you, but in a way you are now expecting. Yeah, I'm going to say horror sequels because I consistently, I consistently can't get a decent horror sequel. I mean, it's like the second Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh my God! Is but the third Nightmare on Elm Street's great. It's okay. It's I think it's great. Weird. And then there's New Nightmare. New Nightmare, I like a lot. Uh, yeah, but that, yeah. So then, but generally, but when it comes, oh man. Now I'm like, even with, with comedy sequels, after The Hangover, they, they why did they even yeah. bother with the other two? Father of the Bride, part two, uh, I don't know. I remember when I saw the first Austin Powers, I was like, he can make five of these. And then they made two of them. And I was like, he shouldn't have made them. Shouldn't have made them. The Beverly Hills Cop movies are just, you know, just. Yeah. Wow, Anchorman Two had some jokes that worked, and that's enough. I give I will, it a passing grade just for just for the just because it was a bag of jokes. Yeah. For me though, Anchorman Two does have the single funniest long extend longest extended scene that made me laugh so hard that I I I, I was crying in my seat and I almost peed on myself. Is that when the RV flips over? No, when um when um the when they release the the baby sh- the shark into the water and the little kids oh, crying yeah. and Ron Burgundy starts singing to the shark, yes, um, over the top, stupid and ludicrous and just but whereas then you know but we've never had a Talladega Nights two, we haven't had a right. Step Brothers two. Oh oh, here's the horror, here's a horror sequel, which again we have the budget to make it right. Evil Dead two. Yep, there you go. It's, it's better. Evil Dead, 2, Evil Dead uh, Army of Darkness, yeah. Army of Darkness, I, yeah. Well, I went backwards. I saw Army of Darkness. I think I've told you this story. I know I've told it on the show, but I saw Army of Darkness on a blind date and didn't know it was Evil Dead 3 and had never seen Evil Dead 1 or 2. Ah. I, I was confused as hell. I, I did the same thing, but I didn't. I wasn't confused. I mean, I was fami- vaguely familiar with the character of Ash. Oh, I had no idea. I didn't even know who Bruce Campbell was. Ah. I was like, wait, this guy's a jerk. I don't like him. <laughs> Are all men from the future loudmouth braggarts? Just me, baby. But then, you know, I grew to love it. Met Bruce Campbell a couple times. And I have a friend who wrote the comic book. Yeah, and your friend He's has not also in there. Met- your friend has met Bruce Campbell a few times too, to the point where Bruce Campbell, when he sees me, he gives me that look like I know you from somewhere. Oh, uh, yeah, it's a good look. 
no, no. He goes, I know you from somewhere, and I think you might be a stalker. <laughs> <laughs> That's still okay. <laughs> Dana Gould looks at me like that. <laughs> uh, Did go. the show once, and I'm still starstruck when I see him. So he's always he's like, you're you're okay, right? <laughs> I I don't know that I am, Dana. <laughs> Uh, do you have a greatest thing in the world this week? Yeah, I just saw it. I didn't even realize it was posted on Disney Plus, but the uh, Marvel Legends, a um, making of Guardians of the Galaxy three. Ooh, I didn't know that was out. Which um, here's the thing: I cannot. I loved Guardians of the Galaxy three. It's probably the best of the three Guardians movies, if you ask me. That's the best Mar- MCU movie in quite some time. Right, I think Disney it's the best the- MCU movie since. No Way Home, unless you don't count No Way Home for being a Spider-Man movie. Yep. Uh, but I, I I can't bring myself to watch the movie again because it just, it it's it's an emotionally uh, ex- uh, exhausting movie. It just hits you in so many places. I will say I did see it again when it came on Disney Plus. And um, because you're prepared for it, it doesn't hit you as hard. But you appreciate, you can appreciate the craftsmanship and it doesn't, it doesn't, drag you through the ringer because you see it coming yeah and it's it's not as it's not as much of a as not as much of a gut punch as you think it is when you see it coming i'll just say that all right well i can't watch john wick one because the dog dies so oh yeah well you got to get past that to get through four more john wicks although Um, i've heard don't watch the continental yeah uh, I, I can't. Th- I, I I hear that title. I think of Christopher Walken's character on SNL. So. I would watch that. Yeah, that I would watch. In if fact, that... why don't they have Christopher Walken appear on the Continental as the Continental? You know, that would be awesome. That would be good. But uh, but when you watch uh, the ma- you know again the making of Guardians three, it's it's pretty much um, um, guns. You know, he knows it's it's it. That's it's his. Mm-hmm. It's the whole the entire Guardians. See, you know, trilogy being brought to a close. I, I think overall, outside of the Captain America trilogy, the Guardians trilogy is probably the best of, that they've done. I would say so. And, and I'd say the Captain America trilogy is a cheat because each movie in uh, Captain America becomes more of an MCU movie. An MCU or an Avengers movie, yeah. Yeah, certainly Civil War becomes becomes an MCU movie because it's uh it's almost like Martin Freeman and the Hobbit. It's like, it's no longer about the main character. It's about, yeah. it's about everybody. Yeah. Uh, but the, 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 you know, James Gunn talks about the, putting it together and, and the experiences he had and what, what the, sh- the, the shift was like. And it was, it was like, it was like, wow, this is really nice that they did this. It made me kind of sad too, because like, we're never going to see this again. You know, the, this, yeah, but he's he's gonna give you a Superman movie, and you're gonna give you a Superman, Superman movie. But you you're know. not. I'm not the Superman fan you are. Oh my God! And I'm telling you that that one's gonna be huge. I'm 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 expect. But I after seeing that, I'm like, okay, I think James Gunn is is gonna do some really incredible things in um in the in the DCEU to the point where we're. I, I sure hope that these. I swear to God. Why does this keep showing up on my social media feed? But this, this restore the Snyderverse bullshit keeps coming okay. back, and they're complaining about James Gunn ruining the DCU when he hasn't, he hasn't done, done anything. Yes, so yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens there. And so yeah, my but uh, to as a nice little coda and closure on uh, what was probably the best of the the, the Marvel trilogies. Um, 
the making of Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is my best thing in the world this week. Well, I'm going to watch that as soon as uh, we wrap up here. And we're wrapping up here. Uh, if you want to follow us, uh, there are plenty of ways to do it. I recommend our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Comics, where we post all the news that's fit to geek. I'm out there uh, at Not In My Book on Instagram and threads. But honestly, I'm not posting anything anymore. I, I take pictures of toys and I go, I don't know that anybody wants to see this. <laughs> I take pictures of my kids and I go, I don't know. <laughs> I have been posting very, very little this year. Elliot, how can we follow you? Uh, of course, on my social medias, uh, at Elliot Serrano, two L's, two T's, and two R's. On uh, Instagram and Facebook, if you follow me on TikTok, it's Serrano. So to find me there. Or I'm just doing some silly stuff and playing with filters and trying to figure out the uh, language of that particular social media platform. If uh, I am posting more, though, on the Top Men Indie Podcast Instagram, uh, as um, we get more and more of these Indiana Jones figures out, um, I'm just pulling them out of the boxes and showing them on display. Uh, if you go to the Top Men Indie Podcast page, you'll also see uh, some of the figures that uh, John as in his collection. Oh, so somebody's posting for me. Great. So they're on there. <laughs> and of course, you can always find me at the, the MCU Review. If so, if you haven't been um, following the MCU Review, uh, go to our our YouTube page. Go look for MCU Review to see all the episodes that we've recorded to date. We will be returning soon, uh, diving into the... Uh, Marvel shows on Disney Plus. First up is going to be WandaVision. Um, and, but since we, you know, we've, I think we've made it pretty quickly. I don't think there's a tremendous rush to get through everything. Well, we, we once we did Endgame, I mean, it's, well, we did Far From Home too. It's like, I, we already passed the peak of the MCU. And yeah. that's what we're dealing with now is everything's kind of a letdown. So it's it's less exciting to get to. Well, we'll probably be getting into Loki once uh, the the, uh, the the second season of Loki comes out. So it'll be fun to do a little, some comparisons there. And yeah, so that's where you can find me. Oh, and uh, Shaken Not Heard uh, is on YouTube and Facebook. You can see all the episodes that uh, I and uh, co-host from the MCU Review, uh, Dave Pinto, recorded reviewing all the James Bond movies from Dr. No through No Time to Die. Things are heating up as far as the rumors of who's going to be cast as the new James Bond. And um, lots of talk out there about Christopher Nolan directing the next James Bond movie. Wishful thinking, maybe, but uh, it would be fun. Well, either way, we will talk to you next.